The Courage to Lead, episode 127. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. What would you do if you or one of your employees was falsely accused of racism or sexual harassment? What would that do to your reputation? What damage would that cause your business? More importantly, how would you respond or should you respond to start regain the reputation you work so hard to build? If you're smart, you would engage the services of my guest, David Oates. David Oates is a crisis PR expert with more than 25 years of strategic public relations experience dealing with a wide array of adverse public events. David helps organizations repair their brand's reputation in the press and online. Starting as a U.S. Navy public affairs officer and later as corporate chief marketing officer and nonprofit president, he excels in expertly addressing a myriad of crises spanning military, government, corporate, charity, and startup environments. David's crisis communication experience includes handling employee and executive misconduct, cybersecurity attacks, product recalls, mass layoffs, large-scale accidents, criminal investigations, and civil litigation matters. David has been quoted in several news articles on crisis PR, include the Huffington Post, Washington Business Journal, NBC San Diego, and Restaurant Business. He's also authored four Amazon eBooks on crisis communications for specific instances, and also produced three LinkedIn learning courses in crisis communication. David, welcome to the show. Hey, good to talk to you, Coach. Yeah, Thanks for the time. Good to talk to you, man. Crisis communication in, in <laughs> times. I we were talking earlier. Uh, you turn on the news these days. You open up a, a magazine. You turn open something online. You see these headlines, and you're thinking, "Wow." this person's reputation or this company's reputation just got whacked and you know, they're in the mud. What happens next? Yeah. That is it's wild. It's the nature of the news, right? That news doesn't make a, you know, a story of a dog biting a man doesn't, doesn't make the front page or doesn't make, you know, the, the blogosphere, but man bites dog does. Right. And so right. then there's always a question about what the hell was wrong with that guy. And that's where you're going to see news gravitate towards, particularly because now news is no longer, you know, the CNNs of the world and the New York Times and the local six o'clock, you know, broadcast. It is everybody who's got a cell phone, right. who has an Instagram account, who has the capability, particularly with the latest smartphone devices with amazing cameras and incredible sound, yeah. can post something without any sort of fact check, any sort of rationale, thought all with emotion and can just discredit people, whether there's an element of truth for it or not. And, mm. um, you know, for me, that means businesses always are always going to need somebody like me. Absolutely. And I'm happy to, I'm, I'm happy to be of service. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the headlines are, are out there to grab. Once you actually get in and start reading the article, if you ever get that far, it's hardly ever as bad as the headline makes it sound, right. but they're doing that to try to get the readership. It's clickbait rack. Right now, you're going to click on something that looks sensational and likely yeah. then read there. And then there's advertising dollars that associate. And that's just how the nature of the news works nowadays. And yeah. I say news in a very, in a very general sense, yes. right? Because yeah. as I said, now everybody and their brother can be somebody who is declared an influencer, whether they're trained in the science and art of journalism or not. And that's just, yeah. that's just the way it is nowadays. Exactly. 
All right. We're going to come back and talk about all those, talk about some of the things you've had to deal with in your career, um, some things you're up against. Uh, we'll talk about your books and other things that come up. But first, I've got some questions. Uh, these are 10 <laughs> questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners will know these are the questions asked on the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. <laughs> so, Bring it on. They bring it on. All right, David. Question number one: What is your favorite word? Compassion. Uh, people who can express and and be in the shoes of others and and empathize with them. So I'd say compassion. That's one of the courage types we talk about. So <laughs> perfect. Nice. Uh, question two: What is your least favorite word? Condescending. What turns you on? Um, seeing joys in people's faces, seeing them, seeing them be able to realize something that they never expected they would be able to experience or never thought that they would have, you know, beyond their own, beyond their own wildest dreams. I love that. Nice. And what turns you off? People who will wallow in the, in, in the perceived negative circumstances they're in without an action plan like this woe is me something and 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 it's usually very difficult to to not get sucked into that energy absolutely all right what sound or noise do you love oh so it's a particular sound in a particular location i grew up preteen years in southwestern connecticut and my grandparents had a house along the beach in long island sound and there is nothing better then waking up at dawn and hearing the gentle rolling waves from Long Island Sound hit the beaches of the Connecticut rocky sandy shores. Um, I can still hear that as a kid. Uh, you know, nice. 40 years ago, I can still hear that sound. Awesome. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Whining. Yes. <laughs> I can't. Oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard, which is probably, <laughs> it's probably been my second worst sound. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, I don't know if I can really say it. So let's just say it rhymes with muck. Okay. And, um, and especially if you put a mother ahead of that, you mentioned, <laughs> you'd mentioned I was a Navy officer, right? And yes. so, so that four letter word is a beautiful word in the English language because it can be a noun, an adjective and a verb. And I've had, I've had executive officers call me up into their stateroom and, and literally use that in you. And, and I, per, I understood exactly what they were saying and why they were saying it, what, what I was supposed to do. From that. <laughs> awesome. All right. Question eight, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I, I should say professions. Um, if I had to pick one though, it'd be executive chef. You know, the, uh, nice. the, the food network um, show, if you watch it chopped where you get yes. the, you get the yep. chefs that are all there and they got the mystery baskets and open up and they're, you know, they've got like this gooey duck, which is this, you know, seashell, you know, shellfish type claim, of thing yeah. and like cotton candy. And then like, you know, frozen edamame. I'm like, what do you, I, like literally 25 minutes on the clock. I would sit there for 20 minutes looking at that basket, not knowing what to do. And I love the fact that those chefs are like, well, I'm going to make this remoulade and all this. Right. And I'm like, how did you come up with that? That, that would be, that would be a great skill. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. All right. Question nine, what profession would you not like to do? I don't, it's, it's funny, right? I don't, I don't know of one because I'd like to think that, you know, 
God forbid I couldn't do what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know what it would be. I do. I, no, I don't know what I would do, but I'd like to think that I could do anything and make it a game. I guess if, if you had to, if you had to tell me what, you know, in general terms, it would be something where I'd have to be isolated from others. Like, I, you know, like sitting in a room thinking of stuff without any interaction with other folks, uh, I think would drive me insane. So I don't know what that would be. Um, but, but otherwise, eh, you know, let's give it a shot. Exactly. Why not? All right. Good job. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, you, you tried. Well done. You tried. Right. Cause I think life's all about trying. Absolutely. I don't think every, we, we all, we all tend to follow the box score and it's, and think that that's the only thing that counts. And I would say it's the, it's the level of attempts in life. Baseball is my first love. So I'm sorry if I'm going off on a tangent. No, that's good. And, and I tell, I, I do some speaking in college campuses and high schools through mentor associate, you know, groups that I'm privileged to belong to particularly with the uh, San Diego Rotary, a large rotary club here uh, in California. And uh, I tell kids, you know, baseball's, baseball's such a great metaphor in life where you get a batter, the best, best hitter in the world, you know, puts the bat on the ball, you know, bats 350 is the, yeah. well, that means, you know, 35% of the time they actually do what their job is. And that is to get the, you know, get a base hit, get on, you know, get something where they put the bat on the ball. That means two out of every three times they step up on the plate, they fail. And yet they have the audacity that when they do fail, when they do strike out or fly out or ground out, they go back to the dugout three innings, if not earlier, later, they're back trying it again. So that's, that's the secret to life is get up and try again. Cause you'll get your hits if you just keep trying. Absolutely. Yeah. Baseball yeah. players and meteorologists who are wrong 50, <laughs> 60, 70% of the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, just kidding. Yeah. We used to call them in the Navy. We used to call them weather guessers. Yes. And it was a, it was an affection term. And then one time, um, because I was a public affairs officer, I mentioned I was um, I was taking a, a news crew out. They were actually doing a live shot while we were while we were out at sea, right off the coast in L.A. And I turned to the the meteorologist I was taking around, and I said to the meteorologists who were in the navies, I said, "Hey, uh, we're going to have the weather guessers take the media." And she took real exception to that. <laughs> she was not happy that I called. I said, "It's a it's a term of endearment. I swear it is." And she's like, "She did." So the rest of the embarkation with her was uh, a little caustic. <laughs> a little. <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> My own All crisis. Right. PR event. <laughs> yep. All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about your, your Navy career, um, your PR experience, how you worked up to the crisis PR, um, some of the things you're working on or have worked on and uh, what businesses can do to protect themselves. All right. So we'll talk about all of that and more right after this break. So listeners stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, David Oates. David, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Uh, this is a, a crazy topic for me because I know, it, we talked earlier, people carry around their cell phones with them. They have mm -hmm. access to information, right, right or wrong. 
right? True or false. They have information available to them and people can post things that can ruin someone's reputation almost instantly. And there's no, there's no check and balance on it. People can just put out anything they want. That's great. You You know, what do you do? you, You, so yes, you're absolutely right. That's the nature of how we tend to communicate. And it's an unfortunate, I think, reality in many cases to our world is that we're talking more and we're listening less. The, the, the reality is, is that for all the things that smartphones and social media were intended to do, which was to bring communities, what it's done is I think it's just overwhelmed most people with the amount of, of information they receive that they, like anybody else, they sort of close in on themselves. And now I only want to see things that confirm a bias. And when it doesn't, I get, I get very nervous. I get fearful and fear if left unchecked, fear and anxiety, if left unchecked, will always convert to anger. And so that's what you see. And so what I, what I try to do for all the clients that I'm privileged to support is two things. One is I try to get the client to recognize why somebody is saying something. And sometimes there's, a, we talked earlier, sometimes there's an element of truth. Sometimes there may have been something that you didn't do. Look, we're all human, right? We don't hit it out of the park every time to continue with the baseball analogy. There may be some miscues from that. That individual who may be posting on Yelp or Google or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, usually will then take it to another level because, you know, their emotions will take it and then they'll sort of, you know, extrapolate this to such hyperbolic levels that it no longer, you know, no longer matters. And that's where business owners take exception. I said, look, let's get back to what the point was, is that they just feel voiceless and disenfranchised. So let's be a little empathetic about that. Doesn't mean we have to admit the culpability if none is to be made. If there is, own it and own it now. But if there's not, say, look, I get how you feel. Here's what I'd like to do to help rectify this and have a communication that at least gives the audiences a recognition that you are attempting to make right what somebody's perceived to be wrong, even if it's not yours to own, right? It's the old adage of the customer is always right. That doesn't mean, oh, by the way, that you're going to change the mindset of the person who's squawking. That is often not the point. You, you know, if somebody's really gone off the rails, that it's going to be really hard to get them back on. But you're telegraphing to everybody else who's seeing that, all of the audiences that that person commands through their social media platforms and whatnot, that maybe it's not you, it's the other person, or at least don't take the comments at face value. Don't give it full weight. There's other things to it. Give you an example, right? You get a you get a bad comment on Yelp, and somebody, you know, it often happens where somebody, you know, makes a comment on Yelp, and you try to correlate that the business does to a customer. Like I, this person, we don't have any record of this person being a customer. Well, oftentimes the business will just say, "You're not even a customer. You're just a fake review." Well, that doesn't help the situation. Instead, I say, look, you come back and say, look, I'm really sorry for the experience that you're having that there. We'd love to make it right. By the way, we don't have a record of you being customer. Could you call this number? We'd love to engage that. Again, you're not trying to change the reviewer. If the reviewer is a fake reviewer, the reviewer's got other motives to, you know, for whatever reason to disparage you. But you're telling everybody else who's on the Yelp page, this one you might want to not take into account. Like the other ones are probably carry more weight. And that's oftentimes how you can diffuse a situation. Sadly, most don't because of the way in which they've gone to be a success. Business owners, executives, founders of of organizations have done so because they've been able to tune out the naysayers, they focus on the prize, and if somebody throws an obstacle away, they fight right through it. That fight or flight mentality does not work well when somebody is taking a pot shot at you 
on a social media platform, on a blog, on an online review or in the press, and you've got to come at it with an empathetic and action-oriented messages. And that's my job. Yeah. And you've got to take the emotion out of it. Because like I said, they're not really attacking you necessarily. They could be having a bad day. Yeah. What's worse, uh, counterattacking or not responding at all? I would say I would say counterattacking, but only in various degree, you know various shades. Like it's almost it's almost insignificant how much difference it is. The counterattack proves that you're that you're a bad person in the eyes of the reviewer. I'm not saying that they are, but if somebody is making a somebody's making an accusation or at least making a claim that you guys are taking advantage of me and you screwed me over and you didn't do this, and you come back angry. You know, the rest of the audience are like, yeah, maybe this person is a bad guy or this organization, this company is not, you know, not really caring about the people that they serve. <clears throat> but if you say nothing, you give the impression that you don't care, which is almost as bad, right? Not caring of somebody's misfortune or somebody's lack of, of you know, the expectation, you know, not meeting expectations is almost just as bad. So I say, yeah, counterattack is, is, is probably worse, but not by much. Not by much. <laughs> yeah. So you have been in PR for a long time mm-hmm. um, in the Navy. What are some of the things mm-hmm. you had to do in the Navy? Oh, I, nine years in active duty, about halfway through, I had my first public affairs officer job, which was an additional sort of collateral duty when I was still on my guided missile frigate serving in combat and engineering roles. Um, when you're a junior officer, you get additional duties and I got public affairs officers. So often in that capacity, the original sort of jobs were we get correspondence from people all over the world who wanted to patch and they were Navy aficionados. And so you'd correspond back to each of those letters when we would do ports of calls, particularly foreign ports. And if, um, depending on the set of circumstances, we would offer tours to the general public. We would have media interest from them and I would facilitate uh, media interviews and tours of the ship and things like that. Uh, that was sort of the baseline when you're sort of a collateral duty public affairs officers. When I got uh, accepted into the full-time public affairs officers community, which was a, a unique privilege because only 200 officers out of about 55,000 officers did that wow. as their full-time job. I actually was deployed more. Wow. And then the job became a lot more uh, comprehensive in terms of working with State Department uh, consulate issues when we were deployed. I was working um, media I was working proactive media relations and I was also working crisis communications. And so this gets to the point. And in my last few jobs, one of which was being on the aircraft on an aircraft carrier, the John C. Stennis, for the last two years, and then I was prior to that deployed to Haiti for joint military operations as a communications head uh, in the late '90s. I I was the guy that was uh, always the one that would respond when an adverse situation happened, and we had plenty. Um, it's just part of the nature of when you're forward deployed, you know, the tip of the spear. Um, from accidents on board, injuries to sailors, loss of limbs. Um, we unfortunately had a couple of suicides. We had uh, hot war environments. I had um, sailors and Marines behaving badly in ports of call, uh, where I was doing press conferences on courthouse steps and things of that nature. And, and so I was really thrown into the deep end of the pool with some training that the Navy was very good to, to offer to me. But, you know, I was 29 years old as I was basically the corporate communications head of a 7,500 person organization when I was on the carrier, because it wasn't just the carrier, it was the other wow. ships that we went with us on deployment. So I went into the private sector and, um, and because of that experience, I worked for a couple of PR agencies focused in corporate America, largely tech, tech and finance and uh, defense. So when they had product recalls, as you mentioned, mass layoffs, 
CEOs, I, I knew what to do. I had that experience about how you formulate the messages, how you how you funnel in information, how you disseminate it in rapid fashion to meet deadlines and make sure that people knew you were being responsive. And so for all of those matters, I was the guy that did that. And then I hung up my own shingle about 15 years ago, largely on the proactive side, but thanks, as we said, to these little devices that we all carry around in our pockets, the 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 impact of being the victim, or I should say the, the, the opportunity of being a victim of a crisis event now went from just the Fortune 500 companies to any organization of any size because everybody could take a pot shot. And so as I was being a consultant, I kept getting more and more referrals because people knew my background that I decided a few years ago to focus exclusively on crisis PR. And, um, you know, in a real, real strange sense, I'm having the time of my life because so many organizations are getting hit. And uh, I, you know, when you, I've been doing it now for almost 30 years, I have the privilege of knowing what to do and to see the relief in the business owners and the executive eyes when you can help them communicate through, as long as they're being candid, forthright, and transparent about what happened and what they're going to do to fix it, whether they were in the right or in the wrong, mm-hmm. um, I will help them all day long. And it's, it's truly a privilege. I've had some really amazing experiences, particularly in the last couple of years with COVID, yeah. to help organizations through it. And um, yeah. Um, I don't know what else I do in my life and I hope I can do this forever. That's awesome. So uh, what are some of the major things that they're hitting businesses now? You mentioned COVID. Uh, we also have the um, uh, racism, DEI and all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? The mm-hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion. What other things are you working with? Yeah. So we take COVID out of the situation because during COVID I've worked, you know, I work with us uh, almost six dozen, uh, five dozen, excuse me, nursing homes throughout California wow. uh, and Nevada that were, dealing with, you know, being essentially ground zero at the beginning of the pandemic with infections and hospitalizations, and then unfortunately deaths. Uh, I worked uh, on a couple of other matters related to that, uh, businesses that were helping get personal protective equipment to hospitals and things of that nature. But, but before, and then now I'm starting to see afterwards, the type of instant, the type of issues that most organizations of any size will, will face are employee related. Some employee feels like, they were not treated fairly, whether there was a wrongful termination, whether they feel that they were harassed or there's a hostile work environment, or they are not being uh, acknowledged for the uniqueness that they bring from that based on their diverse background, those kind of things. Uh, I help a lot of organizations out. And I usually get brought in in those cases by um, the, um, the, the HR team internally or an HR empl- uh, attorney who is an employment attorney who's helping out there because a matter may wind up being a litigation, but it usually starts with a glass door review or social media or somebody, somebody is, uh, writes a blog for a local, you know, for some sort of, uh, some sort of media outlet. So employee related matters is one. The other is customer related issues, particularly if there is a string of negative press based on the actions, uh, based on the perceived actions. And when I say press, you know, things that'll circulate online through Yelp or, or medium.com or those, some other sort of blog aggregates and things of that nature. You'll see that. And then the third is oftentimes shareholder matters. They're investor groups and shareholders. It could be a publicly traded company that I've worked on, or it could be a private equity firm that is now um, making its, you know, m- making its uh, power known by removing a CEO or removing a, um, a head of, you know, the founder of an organization because yeah. they're not liking uh, what they're seeing. And so that always brings with turmoil. And, and when I go through that, no matter what the set of circumstances, I will tell you the first thing that I get, I get concerned about 
is who do we talk to? And the first priority is always employees. Because if you, most organizations will look outward. They'll look at, what am I going to say to the press? And then maybe the customers and then maybe investors. And I'll get to the employees when I can. If you don't address the employees and make sure that they understand what you're saying and what you're going to, and what your actions are going to be in an empathetic way, nothing you say in the public is going to matter because they will undermine you in the conversation that they have with your customers, with your partners, with your investors, because they're often in the first four, you know, they're the first line of contact within organizations. And I've seen that time and time again, where they forget that employees are your best marketing assets and they will also be your biggest attractors if you don't take care of them. Absolutely. Wow. And so when these things come up, you talked about Glassdoor. Anybody can go on Glassdoor and leave a review of yep. a former employer. Yep. They're, again, no checks or balances. They can say right. almost anything. Right. At, again, is that something that a business should respond to? Should they start talking internally to find out, is that really what's, what everybody is feeling? How, how would you, how would you counsel them? On that? Absolutely. Right. It, it's in the public domain. People are going to take a look at that. I've known organizations, um, good people, terrific uh, companies who have literally lost business because on Glassdoor, there were two or three comments from two or three employees who were no longer there who said, this place is a sweatshop. It's a grind. It's just working us to death. We can't handle it. And I know in one particular case that there was a company who was about ready to sign on the dotted line for some services, you know, a client to this company. And they turned around and said, you know what? We don't feel comfortable with this because here's what we saw in Glassdoor. We think you probably won't be able to service us in the manner that we need based on what we're seeing on this one. You're probably overworked already. So I don't know how you're going to take all this stuff on. So, you know what, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do the search again. You know, we'll put out an RFP, but thank you very much. And it was literally at the 11th hour that they got pulled. Wow. And so I, my, my answer to that is you've got to manage your online reviews like you do your websites. You, you just have to monitor what's going on, address matters that they, uh, that you can, and, and I recognize too, particularly with Glassdoor, you can't say a lot of things in detail because of privacy regulations and employment, you know, employment, um, uh, you know, especially in employment matters. But you do need to give people the idea that you care and that you're taking action on something. And again, it doesn't mean you have to make culpability, but if, if people know that you understand and that you care, they will give you the benefit of the doubt more often than not. It's when you don't say anything or you say it in an argumentative manner that you just make it worse. And in this case, this organization that I was giving you an example of hadn't responded at all. And so, mm. you know, it was basically the word of three people against nothing. And that ultimately lost them that piece of business. Wow. And the ripple effects from that. I mean, it's not just the business that you could lose some of your top employees over something like that. You could lose funding if you're going for, you know, venture capital or something like that. I mean, it's just the ramifications yeah. on things that appear can be can be detrimental if left unchecked. I got another one. It doesn't even have to be an organization; it could be an individual. I got referred into a uh, to a gentleman who is a top tier insurance agent in the Midwest who had a disagreement, let's just say, with the IRS that he wound up making you know making good on, uh, and and was still practicing. But there were, you know, the the governing body. I'll just say to try to keep this as as confidential again, the governing body put out put out a statement in their in their site, and this person who's very well known, who's gotten business over the last 20, 25 years, all through referral, doesn't have much of an internet presence, right? He's got a LinkedIn page that's sort of half done, and he's got one page on the brokerage site, and that's it. And unfortunately, now this this other 
government agency who put out the statement. It got picked up by a couple of small blogs. It now dominates half of the first page of Google when you search this guy's name. So he comes to me three years later asking me, Hmm. what can you do about it? And I say, you can be fixed. And it can be it can be rectified. You can't get rid of those. They, you can't remove them from the internet. They're there in perpetuity. Yeah. So you've got to yes. create other content that pushes that to the second, third page. But you've let this go three years. It's cemented now in the Google algorithms. So you're looking at six figures and eighteen months to repair. That's wow. the that's the issue, even on the smaller front. When you let something go like that, when you let something unchecked, or you say things that are unempathetic, unaction oriented, that's 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 the reality. Wow. But like you said, it lasts forever. Once it's out there in the, in the nether world, you know, it's, it's out there for even if he got a great review, uh, got promoted, got some big award in the bottom second or third paragraph is say so-and-so who three years ago got this and it brings it all back up again. It does. And that's the other thing too, is I get some people who will say at some point, like, Hey, we need to write a counterpoint article to this one. Again, sort of that fight mode. And I'm going, well, even if, you know, because they got this wrong. I said, even if you do, you just bring this story up again. So you've got you've to start to work on the overall messaging at that point. Yeah. When something is, you know, and the crisis abates and something goes on, work on, work on taking the next step forward to continually be empathetic and action-oriented and customer-centric, all the content, and put forth a little bit more investment in that. Because your online presence, your online reputation will make or break you. Uh, even, you know, we stay in services for a minute, but it can be product as well. Somebody mm-hmm. refers you say, oh man, I just bought such and such, right? A vehicle, a TV, a micro, whatever. Somebody's going to go online, right? They're not just going to take that person's recommendation at face value. They're going to, they're going to go online. They're going to Google Absolutely. and they're going to see it and they're going to see all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's going to at least, if, if it doesn't stop the sale, it will at least give that person pause because they may trust the referrer, but you know, whoever referred it, but they're going to look at the online like this doesn't make sense. This is not, this is so different from what my friend just told me is the truth. And it'll at least delay the sales cycle. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we look at Amazon reviews all the time. You know, if a product sure. has a lot of Amazon reviews, and they're pretty good. We figure we can probably trust this, you know, but you don't know who those people are that are putting those things out there. Yeah. It could be anything. Yeah. I always look for, I mean, and here's the reality. 70% of people who write reviews, write bad reviews because that's the motivation that sure. they have on there. You know, they sure. write negative reviews. I mean, yep. and um, so I don't, maybe because I come from a different colored lens, but I don't, I don't take bad reviews as, you know, immediately at face value. But what I do look for is how the organization responded. And if there are trends, like if there's four or five bad reviews that sort of talk about the same thing, the same issue, okay, that's probably a good indication that there really is something there to work on. And then how is the company going to respond? And even if there isn't really a trend, how is the company responding? Because I want to know that that organization cares and at least is trying. If I don't see it, and there are negative reviews. I still may not take that at face value, but but the uh, the willingness of the organization to be proactive in a response means a lot to me um, yeah. because I think that that's that's those are the organizations that are cut above, and those are the ones with whom I want to exchange commerce. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've got is it three or four ebooks? Uh, it, it, well, so it is four now. I just okay. put one up there. Excellent. There's a there's an attorney by the name of Justin Daniels. He's out of Atlanta. He's a cybersecurity legal expert, and he and I co- just literally posted it last week. We just wrote a playbook uh, on that anybody can download. It's about 30-odd okay. pages on what to do if you're hit with ransomware, which nice. is a huge topic huge. that any organization yeah. can, can, can be subject to and probably will if they haven't already. And so we, we thought 
that this would be a value for folks. So yeah, if you Google ebook ransomware with my name, uh, it'll come up. It's a quick download on Kindle. You can read it over a lunch break and hopefully give some folks uh, an opportunity to do so. So that's that was the fourth one there. Uh, the other three were um, uh, sexual harassment, accusations mm -hmm. of racism. And because of my nursing home experience, I had said, you know, what do you do when this was this? I wrote this, oh gosh, a year and a half ago mm -hmm. about um, uh, what to do with COVID-19, you know, communications of COVID-19 in nursing homes and other healthcare facilities. So, wow. And I know yeah. healthcare facilities get a, a really bad rap. I know a friend of mine had his mom in a care facility up in the Boston area. And the complaints that his, his mom would tell him how they treated her and things they did. He'd walked in on a couple of things and saw, you know, the way people were being treated, not his mom necessarily, but other people in the facility, yeah. man. And that gets around, you know? Oh, without question. Right. And, and, and again, there's some empathy you, you give to the organizations. I mean, the healthcare workers have been infected, right. And they're working 16, 17 hour shifts and they're yeah. flat out exhausted and sure. their, their, their nerves are shot just like everybody else's. And they do it under really adverse conditions because no one, none of their patients want to be there. Right? This yeah. isn't a place where people enjoy going to. They have to because they're in a real, you know, they're, they're oftentimes at their worst. And, and so you understand that. But at first blush, yeah. right, that's the perception you get when you see somebody in there who's not caring, not feeling. And, and the communications that I did for the nursing homes for the first it was about a 20 month project with 55 nursing homes. The first six months, seven, eight months really were amazingly intense. In particular, the first 10 weeks when there, when uh, test kits weren't as available to them, the states and the counties, uh, health and human services had directed nursing homes to not test patients until they exhibited symptoms because they just didn't have enough. Well, as we now know, wow. you know, you, you do that and you're, you're 14 days late. By the time somebody's exhibiting symptoms, who's already immunocompromised and elderly, yeah. and um, it was uh, it, 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 it was it was a bad scene. I'll just leave it at that. Wow. So sexual harassment—that's always yes. been kind of a, a thing for me. My my younger brother had been accused, um, was hauled off to jail. Um, oh, only to have the girl come back later and say, "I just did that because my fiance was getting ready to leave me, and I had to blame." you know, something. So she made it up to try to get her boyfriend back is, is basically what it happened. The, the tricky part about sexual harassment is it's not up to me to say I sexually harass somebody. It's, it's on the receiving end. If right. they feel harassed, how do you, how do you counter something like that? When you get falsely accused of something, if, if I've done something to offend somebody, I have no idea I've done it. They take offense and, and are putting this word out. How do you, how do you counteract that? I've had that on a couple of matters, and the answer is it's a very, it's a very, very um, tight rope you walk uh, as you as you navigate toward it. Because one of the things you you really don't want to do is to look like you're victim shaming that you are that you are in a position where you're trying to put the onus on the person, even if that's to be made, because that never that never bodes well for the person, even if you prevail in countering a sexual harassment suit. So the the, the answers that I typically give, and this is a very high level general sense, sure. is that you say, you say what we hear a lot is I, we take all accusations seriously and I always have uh, the mindset of treating people with the dignity and the respect that they deserve and that, they, and that this organization's demand. 
That said, I will certainly avail myself in all areas for an investigation to see if there were things that needed to be that need to be changed. I am I am confident that that I have done everything the right. But if they find otherwise, it was, you know, it will be something that will take for action. And it wasn't with any it wasn't with any intent right. to harass or or demean. And, and what you do in that case is, to your point. As you, and this is all assuming it's true, right? Mm-hmm. Assuming that, that there wasn't like your brother didn't do anything. Right. You, you make the case known that, look, there's always room for somebody else to tell me something that I am blind. We all have unconscious, you know, if we have a brain, we have a bias, as I've heard people say. And, and there may be things that you didn't do. But, but the key is, what was your intent? Right. And what was your, what was your purpose in doing so if you did that? And that is one of the tenets, as I understand it, of, sexual harassment is were you intending to do something and there was a harassment such that some you were demeaning somebody from being able to do some work or there was a pre you know predisposition to that and if the answer is no then it can be it can be rectified and it can be it can be um uh, you know it, you can move on from that and i think most people give the doubt but that's the general line that you walk you do not want to come at it with a point counterpoint to the person because you're right the onus is you know the the the, the definition is from the perception of the person who's yeah. who's feeling victimized, and and so that just brings it up a sticky situation. It's the reality so, of the world in which we live. Yeah, sad and scary mm-hmm. all at the same time. So you've brought up empathy a lot. That's one of the types of courage we talk about on the podcast, yeah. right? There's different types of courage that we have to tap into as leaders. Uh, the empathetic courage is huge. Um, Intellectual courage, being able to set aside your long-held beliefs and and your knowledge to make room for new knowledge because there's always new things coming up, right? Uh, Moral courage, doing what's right. Social courage, saying what needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. Um, Aside from empathy, is there a type of courage you think is is real important? Um, So I I do think moral courage is is probably the, the the as important as 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 empathy. And my reason for that, and it's not a it doesn't come from a position of faith. It comes from a position of, of, of understanding that other people will watch what you do, even if you think they're not looking at you. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I come from a Navy background. One of the people that I still look up to as one of the best leaders with, you know, under which I, I had the privilege to learn was the chief engineer on board the guided missile frigate USS Sides. He was a lieutenant commander at the time. This is going back now. <laughs> It's scary to say 28 years. His name was Mike Pearson. And uh, uh, Mike, Mike was a guy that didn't look like the officer type. Uh, you know, he was sort of big football guy, lumbered around on there, you know, as opposed to what you see in, you know, a film of a straight lace, very sharp, right. very lean, tall, this guy. But everybody knew in that department that he had their back and that he would, and that we would do what was right, even if it wasn't easy, but he would always have the back and we had his, and there wasn't a single person. And I don't mean, I don't say this to be hyperbolic. I I really, really, there was no single person that worked for him that didn't recognize that. And that didn't work for them. And it was because he had the moral curse say, we're going to do what's right. And we're going to do it together. And you know what, we're going to let, we're going to let the chips fall where they may because this is, this is the right thing to do at the right time. And we're going to make sure that that happens. And um, to the point that I still remember, I was trying to get into public affairs full-time and lateral, but if he had called me up and he said, you know, after he left sides about 
about four months before I did, which when our tours of duties didn't exactly line. If he called me up and said, Dave, I got this, I got this crap job. It's in ADAC, Alaska, and we basically make coffees and we watch, we track, we track moose all day. It, there's really no career enhancement, but I'd like you to join. I'd been, been like, I'm, I'm on a plane, like nice. send me orders. I'll grab my, grab my uniform. Let's go. Cause, cause it was him. Right. And those are the people that you remember. I still, yeah, still one of the best examples of leadership and, and, and courageous leadership yep. to your point that I know. That's, that's awesome. Well, then we also talk about um, the courage, you know, where do you find the courage to walk away from a nine to five job to start your own, right? Create your own business, create your own <laughs> success. Um, where do you find the courage to um, come back after uh, divorce, uh, yeah, bankruptcy, sure. things like yeah. that? Uh-huh. Where, did, where did you find the courage to set out on your own? <laughs> I don't know if it was courage. I got laid off. Um, so so the, the story was, uh, I was, I was the marketing head of a software company. So I'm now six years out of the Navy. I'd worked for a couple of marketing agencies, like I said, in high tech uh, and software and, and startup land. And, and those are good experiences. Good. And I say they weren't, some of them were really bad experiences, particularly with the second agency, but it was a good lessons learned in hindsight in the rearview mirror. But I then got uh, asked to run, uh, be the head of marketing for uh, about a hundred person software company, small, about 20 million. And it had the time in my life, company got sold. Now you got two marketing departments. Well, the acquiring company doesn't keep the current marketing department. So we all, right. you know, we all got the boot and it was great. And they had, they, you know, they did us right. But uh, there was about a three month period there that I was sort of looking around because I kind of wanted to do the same thing again. I had this idea for the original, like going out on my own, um, but I wasn't really taking it seriously. Like I really didn't think I was going to do that. I, I kind of wanted, like, I wouldn't mind being a marketing director of another tech company. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find anything that was making me happy, jazzed, or I thought that the people were as good as the ones that I had there. Because there's 20 years later, we're still all pals. And, and there's a lot to be said for that. Nice. So I kept looking at this, at this business plan that I had for this original agency, which was a promotional side. And I said, you know, I should try to see. And I just started going to my network and saying, I got this idea. And before you know it, I had five clients. Nice. And I decided that's what I really want to do. And here I am 16 years later, ups and downs. I, I had, I've, I've had real good years and I've had years where I was going, I, I'm not sure I can continue to do this. Right. I, I got bills to pay, but I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm having the time of my life and, and it's, it's all worth it. You just have to, you just have to be prepared for the bumps and the scrapes and the bruises. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Um, how many folks do you have working for you? Oh, you're looking at them. So, so awesome. I had, you're all I in the had, same room. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah I had me, myself, and I. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really good when you have board meetings. Um, I did have so so. This was one of the bumps and bruises I was sort of alluding to. We, we were pr- primarily, as I'd mentioned, a promotional shop, and then I retooled. The promotional shop was starting to get really competitive as social media and digital firms were starting to eat the media relations shops lunch. And and to a person, I, I don't you know, I, I, this isn't boasting, but I will say all of us miss that. Like if, if PR firms didn't acquire a digital marketing talent, by the time we all woke up, which was around 2015, I still remember was my, was my oh crap moment, as I call it. And I realized, oh, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong people. I'm, I'm trying to compete against other PR firms. And these guys came in and just swallowed our budget. Mm. Um, at that point, I had to make a change. Um, and I knew that I, it wasn't sustainable. And I, there were, I had three employees. We were still a small shop. And they are stellar people to this day. Um, and I had been laid off before. I'd been laid off at that second agency and I've been laid off. I've seen what 
how you do layoffs correctly and how you don't. And so uh, as painful as it was, I brought the team together and said, I'm, I'm giving you three and a half months notice. I gave them literally more than a quarter because it would have, if I gave them three months, it would have been right at the end of the, this new year, right before New Year's. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I said, you're going to, everybody's job is going to be eliminated on January 15th. I'm going to give you a month severance package. We were a small shop. I had, yeah. I didn't have any cash. I'd use all the cash to keep businesses operations. So I'm going to give you a month severance and I'll pay off all your vacation. If you find um, a new job in between now and then, I'll still give you that as my thanks. And I took out a big fat business loan to make wow. that happen. And it took me a few years to pay that off, but they were stellar people. I needed to make a change. The decision was mine mm -hmm. and I want to do right by them. And here I am now, several years later, we still get together for, for beers and they're all doing great. And that means more to me than anything else. But that was, um, that was a painful time. Yeah. Probably the most painful, more painful than leaving the, than deciding to leave the Navy and go in the private sector. Yeah. Wow. But that's good. The way you treated them. That's awesome. If I was to bump into any one of those folks and ask them what type of leader you were, what would they tell me? What kind of leader? Uh, are that's a good question. I don't know if I'm a good judge of that. I will tell you what I think I am. And I think I am a, I, I, I'm certainly a leader that leads by example. I don't believe in giving some people things that you don't, you don't do yourself. I also believe it's important to be the, for me to be as working as hard as others. I, I really did not like, and I've had, I worked for people like that, that were, there were people who would delegate and disappear as it's called, which, which I, I call dump and run. So right. it's, you know, <laughs> And then I'm going to go play golf all day. No, no, no. You've got other things you're supposed to do and you are going to work as hard. It's just going to, not going to be on the same stuff. But if, you know, you're the last person to leave the office and, you know, I say office now yeah. loosely since no one's in an office, but, you know, you're, you're the one, you know, you're the one who turns off the lights at the end of the day. Or if you, if you leave early, it's because you're doing something on behalf of the business. That is your job. And I believe it's really important to, to do that. It also means, you know, you lead by example by taking some time off and getting recharged and all that. I don't mean you have to work yourself sure. to death, but I think that's what people would say is that I cared and that I worked hard and that I, and that I empowered, but I was also engaged. And um, that's probably the elements of leadership, of leadership really, no. that I would, I would hope people yeah. would say about me, but you know, I'm, I'm not the best judge of character on my own. <laughs> no, I think those are, those are definitely good traits for leadership. So what's next for you? What's next? You oh, got another another book coming out? Um, I'm I'm starting one. Uh, I, I, um, at least I've got the outline done. It'll be on uh, what to do, how to manage your online review presence, as we Ooh, were just talking about. Yes, which can be every you know anybody and everybody of any size. So I'll I'll work on that here in the coming months. I've got another LinkedIn learning course. It's on ransom communicating for ransomware. Nice. That'll be we're going to uh, writing the scripts now. We're shooting to record that uh, in. Um, in about two months. Excellent. And I'm hoping that that will be up by the late spring. And that'll be the fourth one on LinkedIn learning. I'd like to do more of that. Yeah. I'd like to be more of a resource for organizations, whether it's in a workshop setting or at conferences that people can sort of at least understand the kind of things that they should prepare for. Cause you know, most of the time I get the call when the house is figuratively, if not literally on fire yeah. and that's fine. I get it. Business owners have got 10 priorities, things that are going to hit them today and things that might hit them and the might hit them always get pushed back. Yeah. Um, but I'd like there to be a little bit more understanding about the proactive side so that there's less likelihood you hire me in a crisis and pay yeah. all that money. I'm happy to take it. But then, you know, you see all the time where it's like, man, if you'd only called me like four weeks beforehand, we could have, <laughs> there was, there was an out there and it's no longer yeah. there. Right. So I'd like to do that a little bit more. 
Nice. But with everything being online now, it seems like there would be a lot of, of need for uh, the preemptive. What can you do to stay out of trouble? What can you yep. do to you know keep an eye on things? Do you help companies set up the the regulations and, and procedures internally for stuff? Oh, like that? yeah. I'd love to do more of that. The reality yeah. is, is that for every one of those, again, I get nine others that wait for me until, yeah. until it breaks down. And, and I, you know, that's, that's it. So, you know, I have a tagline when I go to networking and I tell people I'm a crisis PR guy, call me when the bleep hits the fan. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I say that because I know that that's what's going to happen, but I would, I would prefer they call me earlier as things are developing. Right. And sort of the trigger words is, yeah, we're working on something. We hope it doesn't get out. I'm hoping just to make it go away. I'm hoping to, to quiet things down. Well, hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> so, you know, wow. call me beforehand, but, but, you know, the reality yeah. is that it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Because with clients before in the past, we've done what if scenarios, you know, you're doing this. What if this goes south? What do you do? And a lot of times they don't want to think about that. It's like, right. oh, everything's going to be fine. It's like, really? <laughs> I hope you're putting money aside. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Very cool. David, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the, on the podcast. Um, if people do have some defecation hitting the rotary <laughs> oscillator, um, as a friend of mine used to say, um, how do they get in touch with you? What's your, what's yeah, your website? That's, I appreciate it. I'm going to steal that one. Absolutely. The rotary oscillator is brilliant. Uh, publicrelationssecurity.com. Publicrelationssecurity.com is the website. If you go Dave Oates Crisis PR, I'll pop up on LinkedIn. Uh, please do LinkedIn to me. My contact information is there. And uh, coach, this has been an absolute privilege and a yeah. pleasure. I really appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. All right. I'm going to have links in the show notes. Uh, to your website, to your books that are available on Amazon, right? Yep. Um, if you're accused of racism, sexual harassment, and then uh, PR for housing. Ransomware was the other Ransom, one. Ransomware is the other one. Yeah. Got it. All right. I will have all those links in the show notes for everybody. Oh, it's kind of you. Yeah. Listeners, hope you guys are taking notes. A lot of good information here. If you find yourself in trouble, do not react until you contact a professional. Figure out how to get out of the mess you've created for yourself. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. Share this with your family, friends, and colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs>